This is a big-timing comedy production. Welcome backstage. Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. VIP only. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are band-aids. Are you jumping or am I under-medicated? And now, here's your host, Meredith Marks. I'm with the band, okay? This episode of Backstage Pass being brought to you by Cassie Denton Photography. That's C-A-S-I Denton Photography. She's on Facebook at Cassie Denton Photography or online at CassieDentonPhoto.com. Just mention Backstage Pass. She'll give you 10% off of your total package. She's located in the Baltimore area. She takes photography sessions for families, animals, engagements, weddings, pregnancy reveals, just about anything. Great photographer. Again, CassieDentonPhoto.com. All right, welcome into episode five of Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. And um, I've known this guy for a little while now, and he happens to be on tour with one of my favorite people of all time. Please welcome Craig Pilo to our show. Thank you very much. How are you, friend? I am good. I'm good. Live from L.A., right? Yes. Yep. Very hot and, and what's weird, a very humid day here in L.A. today. But yes. Yep. Yeah, it's a, big, it's a bit muggy here in Baltimore as well. That's normal for you guys, though, it, right? It's pretty normal, yeah. Yeah, that's why my brother moved away, so he could have the dry heat and leave me with the sticky stuff. So, nice. Nice. <laughs> Smart man. Smart guy. Well, we're excited to have you on. Uh, you currently are the drummer for Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. That's correct. Played for Player, for Pat Boone. Uh, you've been drumming for a long time. Tell me about that first time that you ever picked up drumsticks. Wow. Uh, well, that's a very long time ago. I probably was eight or nine. And um, I, I just remember begging my dad for drum lessons. And uh, that's kind of how that all got started. My dad used to play and his dad used to play. So I'm kind of third generation. That's cool. So when you went to school, did you study music or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I studied uh, privately from the time I was probably seven or eight on up through high school, and then I went to music school as well. Um, and um, and then I started kind of working after that. Now, how did you get hooked up with Player in 98? <laughs> I'm just curious about this Yacht Rock venture that you had with them. Okay, well, the, the Yacht Rock thing actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, started happening right after I left. Um, and I, again, I, I love those guys. I know they're going to be on your show coming up soon. Those guys are all awesome. They're all awesome friends of mine. Um, I ended up leaving the band because of scheduling conflicts. It had nothing to do with the music or the personalities uh, or anything like those guys are awesome friends. They're awesome people and they're awesome musicians. Um, and I filmed, we filmed a bunch of videos together and we would, we still hang out actually whenever we have the chance, but you know, Frankie's a little demanding with the schedule and, and it got kind of hard for me to rehearse, um, when those guys would have a show and, and you know, they need somebody that's available all the time and, and they can't book their shows around Frankie's and that's fair. Absolutely. Uh, so it was all good. But um, to answer your question, um, I was in a, a funk band with um, a guy named Ron Green, who was uh, one of the backup singers in that band. He played percussion and sang backup. And um, when one of the other drummers, uh, I forget if he had health problems or he moved away. I forget what why the other drummer left. But an opening came up and he recommended me and, and I started practicing with them and we all got along. And at the time in like, I want to say 98, I think that's around when I joined um, they were working pretty much twice a month. You know, they would play from like May till October and do the summer, uh, you know, summer fairs and festivals and casinos and things. And it was a, it was a lot of fun. I, I loved that band and the, and the harmony. And boy, Peter Beckett always just sounded great. You know, I mean, are you interviewing both those guys, uh, Ron and Peter or just Peter? Or who are you talking? to? Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to go to Atlantic City. Still waiting to hear if that show is happening, but I'm supposed to venture over to New Jersey and uh and go and talk to him. So we'll see. I'm doing a whole Yacht Rock episode. I'm oh, going okay. to interview Yacht Rock Review. It's coming to Baltimore actually this Friday. Um, and, and, and you know, the whole thing is, Craig, honestly, 
I got a new car. I never had Sirius. Got Sirius. And I'm scrolling through these channels, right? And I should not be saying this because I'm a radio personality here in Baltimore. And, you know, I've got to be loyal, show some loyalty. But I'm scanning through these channels on Sirius. And I'm going, this is so cool. Yeah, right. This is amazing. And all of a sudden, I scroll over to Channel 17, and they've got Yacht Rock Radio. And I'm going, oh, yeah. I'm not. I think that yacht rock thing is within the last couple of years. I think I. I think I. I finally was pretty much gone around 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And the yacht rock thing is like, a, if I'm not mistaken, it's a bunch of different groups, and they kind of have the same rhythm section. And I think they all come on and do their hits. Is that what happens? No, I mean, well, it's it's basically. I mean, it's it's a whole genre of music. I mean, they're playing right. everybody uh, from. Player to Hall and Oates. They've got Michael McDonald. It's the Michael McDonald uh, channel. It's the Michael McDonald channel. Uh, it's okay. Michael and Friends, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I, because I, the Yacht Rock thing, again, like I said, that that happened after I, I, they got affiliated with that after I left. So I'm not real familiar with whatever that is. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But it's not like fun. Anything with Michael McDonald and Hall and Oates and Player, man, that, anything with that lineup, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. I mean, it's such a no. fun. Um, it's just, it's just a fun channel to listen to and groove to. And if you just want to kick back and relax, and then, you know, I was listening today and they go, uh, the only logins that you should remember is Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, this is great. The, how snoot, do you know? the snooty, the snooty guy. I love how it. do you, how do you, how do you not love so is that? that? rock? Like, is that, are they just calling that like a genre? So that's kind of like a station of all those artists. Is yeah, that pretty, that is? pretty much. Okay. All but, right. you know, yeah. Yacht Rock is, they're doing Yacht Rock cruises where they're yeah. having, yacht, you know, basically Yacht Rock genre bands come on and they're having, you know, different, it's it's cool. It's cool. So, yeah. they, I mean, there's different bands that, that cover all of these artists and like, like, uh, like the band that I'm going to see on Friday night and, and they cover all of them and it's, it's neat. They do a player song as well. Ah, cool. So, yeah, you'll have a good time with. Pete and Ron, and I, I don't know if uh, Rob Math is still in the band or Johnny or who's who's in there now, but they're a bunch of knuckleheads. But what a, what a bunch of talented knuckleheads they are. And I tell you what, they, the vocal harmonies are better than ever. I mean, if you get to see them live, oh, boy, you're in, you're in for a real treat. They, they really sound great. Well, I can't wait. Well, let's yeah. talk real quick um, about how I got to meet you. The first time, now I've, you know, of course, I'm born and raised as uh, Uncle Frankie, you know, knowing Uncle Frankie is my uncle, yeah. not blood related. And everybody knows that, but he is, he is my uncle. And, um, and, and so I get a message from Larry Lingle. I think it was uh-huh. in early spring of 2016 that he's playing his last show mm-hmm. in Cleveland, Ohio. And I said to my dad, we've got to fly out to Ohio and see Larry's last show with Frankie. Yeah. We just, we have to. So we come out. The old card, yeah. Yeah, and and it was oh, he's such a great guy. And yes. um flew out to Cleveland and met I hadn't seen you guys in a long time. I hadn't seen Frankie's current band and I and I mean that for a very very long time and it was a great reunion to see Frankie and everybody and I met you. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were sitting in what theater was it? Palace Theater in Cleveland. Oh, right. Yes. And we're sitting, my dad and I are sitting in sound check and you had the plexiglass around you. And my dad looks up and he goes, yeah. And I go, what's up? And he goes, he's got, he's got the plexiglass. He's got the drum shields. And I'm going, okay, is that good? And he goes, oh yeah, that's good. (laughs) We had a whole conversation about it. And then you and I became friends and connected and, you know, I kind of joke with you every once in a while about it. So his whole vision of this and his whole idea of this being Mr. Soundman is that it is best to do that when you can. How do you feel about that? Uh, You know, I'm I'm not like a lot of drummers, to be honest with you. I'm always happy to do whatever makes the sound men happy. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to disappoint your dad or anything, but we did away with the plexiglass of, of you know a few years ago. I think I, we have. I can't remember how long ago. Uh, right, because you came you came to the Hippodrome here in Baltimore, and you didn't have it, but you had right. it in Cleveland. So I was just curious. 
You know, we went through a phase where uh, either they thought the drums were bleeding into the vocal mics too much or the drums were bleeding into the guitar mics or whoever's in front of me at that particular setup. So I don't remember the specific circumstances. The drum plexi really doesn't bother me a whole lot. I mean, I, I, I think I prefer it without it. But at the end of the day, if it makes the sound men happy and it makes the artist happy, I'm always happy to do it. They use them a lot in television and stuff like that to prevent sound from bleeding from one microphone to the next. In a big theater where it's real boomy like that, I, I think the purpose of it gets lost a little bit in the wash. But, you know, again, if, if it makes the artist happy or if it takes some of the the symbols from ringing in Frankie's ears or something, that, that, you know, then, then that's fine. Let's put up the plexi. I can... You know, um, the last thing I think anybody wants to do is, uh, you know, limit or inhibit the energy of the show because the drums are all baffled and everything. But if they want to keep it from bouncing around the stage to make everybody comfortable, then then then, you know, more power to it. I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to uh, to accommodate the situation. Now, you said comfortable and and for people that haven't seen the show, the way that you guys are staged, you've got Keith. And Larry directly standing in front of you. Um, That's awful. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell those guys tomorrow to move out of the way. <laughs> quit, quit, quit stealing my spotlight. You know, I hope they're listening. So Larry and Keith, if you're listening, I don't want you guys hogging my spotlight anymore. I've had it. Get out of the way. We want to see Craig. That's right. And no. I'll, the, problem, the problem is I'm pretty boring to look at, though. I mean, I'll have to take up stick twirling or something to you know. Yeah, you know, but- it's it's probably better they stand in front of me. You're they're probably. Right. <laughs> Well, you guys have a really cool stage set up, and that's why it was interesting. That's why I had to bring up the the drum shields with you because, you know, a lot of different bands, when they have the different stage setups, they don't always have other musicians directly in front of them. I mean, usually the drummer is is right there in the center, and you kind of are off a little bit to the left, and, uh, you know, if you're facing out the audience, you're over to the left a little bit, but... um, you have them, you know, a couple of musicians directly in front of you. So that's why, you know, for people that don't know about sound and people that don't know about the inner workings of how the stage is set and where people are placed and how it affects their playing and everything. I mean, you guys have it down to a T where everybody's placed in their place and you pretty much stay there for the whole show, except for, you know, the guys, uh, you know, coming out and, and, uh, modern gentlemen and Frankie coming out and, doing their yeah, thing exactly yeah i you know unfortunately you can kind of fit what i know about sound into a thimble but um <laughs> the, the, the truth of the matter is the um the stage setup is uh designed by somebody else and um i you know i don't really have strong opinions about it one way or the other i mean i i've been to a lot of shows i love it when the drums are in the center and featured and everything but you know i'm also i'm also fine being off to the side and being heard and not seen as much i i don't you know i I have a good time playing with this rhythm section and we're a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. I've been in this band 12 years and you know, everybody's pretty good at their job. And, and like I said, when we roll into town, it's, it's a, it, everybody's on autopilot. I mean, it's a pretty automatic thing. And our engineers are, are fantastic. Our front of house guy, our oh, monitor guy. Amazing. Jim's amazing. Yeah. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, with those kind of, with that kind of talent, it doesn't really matter where I am on the stage. Um, but man, if I ever need a PR person, Meredith, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you because uh, you'll be the one to lobby to get me in the front, in the center, with all the lights, and we'll move Frankie off to the side. How about move that? Move Frankie right on off there. Yeah, that yeah, wouldn't sit well with him. You know, <laughs> I um, I, no, everybody can see you beautifully. That's the whole thing about this exact stage setup is that everybody is seen. Everybody, even the horn section. Behind Modern Gentlemen, you guys can see them, and it's so well laid out. So I've seen it a couple of times in the past couple of years, um, and it's always a treat, and it's amazing. Let's talk about, you know, not long ago, you guys did a European tour. You did two of them, maybe yeah. three if I missed it, but you went, you went over to the O2 Arena. It's It's hyped up to be incredible. Can you tell us, is it? Yes. And I tell you, we've had, I've had three or four really amazing experiences in the UK in the last, God, 18 months, maybe two years. I mean, the first one, uh, we started playing Royal Albert Hall on a pretty annual basis to the point, wow. to the tune where I think we've played there six or seven times. I'd have to go back and look at the old schedules, but that place is magic for um, one. Paul Crook, was- Paul Crook just posted, right? Wasn't it Paul Crook? He just posted a picture today on Facebook 
of that was his most one of his favorite places to play with Meatloaf because it was an incredible audience and what an amazing view from the stage. Yeah, Royal Albert Hall has this magic to it, um, like where if these walls could talk kind of thing. And then to add, you know, to, to add to the hype of it all, the, the very first time we played there, you know, I stepped off the stage and, and Jimmy Page had been at the concert and he was backstage. Hello, everybody. Shouted, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like one of my idols, you know, I mean, every, not mine, but probably everybody's idol. But Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin was just there. And so to add to the amazing experience, you know, you get to hang out with one of your all-time favorite rock stars. That was off the charts. And then fast forward a few years, um, we did the BBC proms last September, and there's good video footage of that on YouTube. That that's a good that was a good concert. I just posted like, that on my Facebook page today. Yeah, there's like forty thousand people there, and they were all it's amazing. They would, they would sing so loud that my in-ear, I, I had to turn my in-ear monitors up. And, you know, for people that don't know what that is, it's like a, a custom ear mold that blocks yeah. the outside sound and you get to control exactly what you hear. The fans were screaming so loud. Mm. I had to turn, it's like having to turn up your, you know, your earphones. And it was crazy. And then the most recent one is the one you're talking about. Um, we played the O2 Arena, which was part of, um, I guess, the last tour of the UK we did. And, and, that was incredible too. I mean, just the O2 Arena. I don't know how many people that place holds, but wow, it's a lot. So you guys did this video. I I follow all of you guys, and I think it's fun. I really do. I it's like city hopping, country hopping with you yeah. guys with all of the four seasons. And um you guys posted a video. Somebody, I don't know if it was you or Keith or maybe even Larry, you guys went into a secret room at oh, the that O2 was Arena. Me and Todd. And, okay. uh, yeah, what was that about? Oh, you know what? Yeah. They have like this, um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. They have this thing now where you walk through a bookcase to get to the backstage area and then they have like these M and M dispensers and then you, and then there's like a double secret room in the back, which you have to go through another bookcase to get there. It's crazy. Um, I mean, who uses those? Really? I, I did. I did just to say that I did it. Just, just to, to say, say that, that you did I, it. Yeah. It's a European thing. It's a, I mean, you know, you had uh, Michael what, Jackson playing there. I mean, you have all of the big wigs are playing there, and it's like they have these secret rooms. What do they do in these secret rooms? Well, me personally, I went for the M M&M and M dispenser, but I don't know. What, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, it's not like I get to hang out with, or a guy. It's not like I got to hang out with Michael Jackson or anybody. But uh, yeah, no, that was cool. We we had a good time. We had a nice. We had a nice little hang backstage. It's always pretty low key with us, and. Um, you know, because we're, we're more of a nostalgia act than like a young rock and roll trash the hotel room kind of band. So um, our our key our, our hang was pretty low key and pretty fun. And we, we travel with a pretty, pretty good group of guys. Nobody's so. trashing hotel rooms when they're on tour with Frankie Valley. Let me tell you, he will not stand for that. <laughs> yeah, he would have yeah. your heads. We gave Craig a chainsaw for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you guys always look like you're having a really good time. You look like when you're on tour, you guys are just good friends, hanging out, experiencing different venues and cities together, and it looks really comfortable. It doesn't look awkward, or it just looks well, comfortable. No, I mean, like when you, you guys are fun, you live, like having fun. You live on a bus with twelve dudes, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you you get to be pretty good friends pretty quickly, and uh, you know, we spend a lot of time in close quarters and. A lot of times in vans and, you know, and just always in transit. So you have to get along. I mean, the hang is, I think most musicians who travel will tell you that's a very, I mean, you know, you got, you got to hold your own talent wise and everything. That's kind of a given nowadays. But, but I tell you the, the hang and being able to travel with people in, in both glamorous and unglamorous conditions is just as important. You know, I mean. Uh, and yeah, we do have a great rapport. I got to say it's, it's, it's a great group of guys. And yes, we, we, we always make a point of having fun. I'll give you that one. So you're probably just a couple of years older than I am. I mean, not by much, I'm sure. What is it like to be touring really with a, with an icon? Well, the thing that I, that I respect the most about Frankie is that, you know, he's always God, He'll be the first one to the airport, the first one to sound check, the first one. I mean, he, it's like, it's what he does, you know, and, and his work ethic is unparalleled. And um, there's no doubt that that's why he's still doing it at 83. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, he's twice my age and um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I have a hard time. I mean, I come home from some of these tours and I, I'm just wiped out. You know, I can't move for a day. I'm like, listen, I'm watching baseball and I'm going to veg in front of the TV. And that's my, you know, when I come home from being on the road for a week or two, that's just how it is. But, you know, I, I just keep it up with Frankie is, is, is a chore by itself. <laughs> so much energy. I mean, so really the guy moves better on stage than Mariah Carey does. I saw that doesn't yeah. take much. I had to say that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, that clip. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I mean, and he's got so you know he's changed it up so much now with really bringing in a younger vibed band, and with these guys, these modern gentlemen. I mean, they really add something to it. And you know, for '83, and he's still up there doing the moves with these guys. It's incredible. Yeah, really, really is. So yeah. when you guys are touring around, tell me you're on stage or looking out at the audience or, you know, besides the Royal Albert Hall, what other venue stands out to you where you're standing, where you're, well, you're sitting on the stage and you're looking out and you're going, I cannot believe that I am here. Uh, well, the, the first ones that I named obviously were, were, were pretty cool. Royal Albert Hall stood out. The O2 stood out. The BBC Prom stood out. But there's been others. Um, we played a racetrack somewhere in... Essex or Sussex or something. There was a lot of people there. Um, in my hometown in Uncasville, the Mohegan Sun Arena is always nice because that you know I, I went to high school right there in Uncasville. That's not too far from where I grew up. Um, in Connecticut. We, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, southeastern Connecticut. And and then um, we did the um, the Capital Fourth a few years ago. I forget what year that was with Frankie. And there was that was uh, you know, fourteen. Yes. Okay, yeah, so three years ago. So there was, you know, a lot of people on the mall that night, and they said they had a TV audience of like six million or something. And I'm like, wow, wow. You know, it was cool. That, that was, I think some of that concert's on YouTube as well. Um, so certainly the Capitol Fourth, certainly um, Mohegan Sun Arena in this country is a good one. We played some great – we played a great place in Japan. I forget the name of that, the Imperial Arena or something. I, I just – that was a while back, but that was cool too. Um, but I, I think some of the best crowds are in Ireland. Um, we just played a little less glamorous place in Ireland. I don't re- even remember. They all, but when you're on the road, sometimes these these places just they're hard to recall right away um, without my itinerary in front of me. But we just played a kind of a weird tented venue. But man, again, the crowd was just so into it. I mean, out there dancing and screaming the words from the first song to the last song. So I got to give the the Irish have their props there because they seem to know Frankie's repertoire pretty well and they they get down. I mean, he just holds the microphone out and yeah. and that's it. The crowd yeah. can go. Every song without a beat, yeah. every lyric, these are these these songs are timeless. Yeah. I mean, everybody grew up with them. Well known, and that's the fun part, right? Is watching the the crowd when he yeah. holds that microphone out and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And you're like, in I mean, that pretty zone. good music. I mean, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, it's, it's vocal pop music from largely the sixties and the seventies. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of feel good music. It usually takes people back to whatever they were doing at the time and, and people that discovered it a little bit later. And then, you know, of course, Jersey boys, you know, breathed some, you know, uh, some new life into Frankie and into his music and brought that music back again. So when Jersey Boys came out, the crowd got a lot younger. And so now we have, you know, younger people, people that have seen the Broadway show, wanted to come see Frankie. So that kind of helped, you know. It was kind of nice. It fattened the crowd a little bit. It it, it brought his music to a younger generation. And I, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's why we're still out there doing it, you know. Oh, absolutely. Until yeah. he's ready to stop, people are going yeah. to show up and pack every venue that you guys go to. Well, I hope doubt. so. Yeah. So you guys, you know, you guys come off tour. Everybody has their own side projects. You have your studio in home uh-huh. in L.A. Yep. You've recorded music for Bad Dog and Dog the Bounty Hunter and the Emmy Awards and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I'm not going to lie. I listened to that clip and I remember, I remember that scene wow. when they were shoe shopping. Sure. And I'm going... That's a catchy tune. I remember watching that, and I had absolutely no idea that that was you. Uh, well, it you know what? I don't want to disappoint anybody. It sounds a little bit more glamorous than it is. I, I write a lot of music 
for a couple of music libraries here in Los Angeles when I'm not on the road and I have a writing partner and that's why I built my studio aside from doing drum tracks for people. Um, uh, I do record a lot of like TV production music and a lot of it ends up in reality television. But like I said, I, I kind of write for a library. They tell me the genre they want and I give them a bunch of music in that genre and then they place it in the show. Um, but yeah, I've uh, I, <laughs> a lot of my music ends up in reality television shows, and you know some of the shows are are quite good, and some of them are quite unwatchable. And I'll leave it to you to decide which <laughs> ones are which. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I've watched it before. Do I watch it currently? No, because I've had enough. <laughs> when it's shoved down the throat, you just you're like, okay, it's enough. Um, but back in the day, I was curious, just like I think a few other chicks were, and uh, yeah, it's it's a girl show, pretty much. <laughs> I watched it once. Mikey, you did not. Wow. Oh, Closet no. Kardashian watcher. How once. about that? <laughs> well, the good news is that I, I sometimes I have to tell people I have to watch the show so I can see what music they're using so I can, you know, write more music in the, and produce more music in that style. So I, I have to watch it. Absolutely. You have to. <laughs> Kicking and screaming, you shall. So sometimes when I go to shows um, and I – feel inspired by certain musicians i'll take a i'll take a little video snippet of it and i'll send it off to my friends and i know a couple of months ago i sent you a few um who oh, is, yeah. who inspires you what drummers are your inspiration oh uh well you know i i gather inspiration from a lot of a lot of guys and a lot of different bands and a lot of different genres it's really hard to narrow it down um you know, at the moment, um, I, I tend to go see Dumpsta Funk whenever they come to L.A. They're a band from New Orleans with um, Ivan Neville. And, um, oh, nice. you know, they, they always have a great lineup in the band. Whoever's in there is usually um, usually somebody worth checking out. Um, but uh, local guys, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard for me to get out in L.A. because we travel so much. And then when I am here, I'm usually writing and producing. So, like... For me, it's really, but the older I get, the harder it is to just leave the house, you know, especially since I built this studio right here in my house. Um, it's hard to get out and check out other guys. But, you know, I, I made a lot of friends uh, when I was in music school and I, I, I try to keep in touch with them as best I can. And a lot of them are out touring and, and have various side projects and stuff. And they're always, um, you know, we had a good rapport back in, back in college. So I, I went to school with a great group of people and usually they're, they're doing a nice blend of production things and, uh, um, you know, of, of their own like self enrichment projects as well as being part of like touring projects as well. So, um, yeah. When you're studying playing drums and you're, you're trying to soak all of that in, I mean, do you take in playing all different types of drums? I mean, can you pick up a steel drum and play it? Um, not anymore. I, there was probably a few months where I probably would have had the courage to tackle playing a steel pan. Like again, back in college, they exposed us to a lot of different things, playing marimba, playing steel drums, playing gamelan instruments, Brazilian percussion, you know, orchestral stuff. And, and we had to do all that in music school. But since then, I've really been focused on, you know, the drum set. And, um, but even with, you know, studying drum set and playing that as as a living you, you have to draw from a bunch of different styles you have to have all your bases covered whether it be you know hip-hop or jazz or funk or fusion or or pop or or um you know gospel or or whatever you have to kind of especially when you when you start doing more and more sessions here in la you know i i took a session for tomorrow and i didn't even i didn't even ask what style of music it was i'll, I'll figure it out when i get there you know so you kind of want to I think any any professional drummer is going to have to have all their bases covered as far as styles go and, and where they draw their inspiration. Gotcha. So when yeah. your family looks at you and says, all right, honey, we need a break. We need to take a vacation. You've traveled the world. Where do you go? Oh, I tell you, um, my wife is from Brazil and um, I I love going to Brazil. Um, I, I love the culture. I love the people. I love the music. I love the food and uh, my wife's family is pretty cool too. So that's, that would probably be my first destination of choice. Um, and then the second would be, um, there's a bunch of places right here in California that I think really get overlooked. And, um, 
I have a lot of friends kind of up in wine country um, in the Santa Barbara area. And so just north of Santa Barbara. You, oh, you know the movie Sideways? Did you ever see that? I haven't. Okay. Um, so there was a movie out with Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church, I think. I can't, I can't remember who the other guy was. Um, and um, oh, there's Paul Giamatti and the other guy. I can't remember the other guy's name. But um, they go on this kind of wine tasting adventure in uh, Los Olivos and Santa Inez. And that, that's one of my favorite places to go. Um, aside from the fact that it's kind of beautiful and you get to drink wine, I just – it's it's a short drive. I can go for a day trip or a weekend, and I, I don't I give my mind a break from music for a few hours, you know. So it's so those would be my top two probably. Mike, he gets in the car, he drives to Napa. We get in the car and we go to Ocean City, Maryland. What is wrong <laughs> with this picture? <laughs> well, Napa's a little farther away, but I, I probably could do that too. That's more like six hours, but it's still that's still doable. Yeah. Where do we get in six hours, Mike? Ocean City and back. There you go. Oh. Or like Connecticut or something, right? Maybe Connecticut. Cheshire is a beautiful little town. I just visited there last summer. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Connecticut, so I go. You know, I usually get back a couple times a year, but uh, to visit my parents who live in Mystic. But um, yeah, hey, I drove through Mystic, and we stopped at Mystic Pizza. There you go. You have Mystic. to. You kind of have yeah. to. Nice, right? Yeah. Are you still Julia, Robert, Julia Roberts' first movie? Right. Oh, gorgeous. Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't remember that? Right. <laughs> that smile and that hair. Come on, it's ridiculous. Are you still teaching at uh, California College of Music in Pasadena? I am. Um, uh, I teach there one day a week. And, you know, one of the reasons that particular college works out pretty well is because I'm kind of allowed to sub out when I'm on the road. And usually it only happens like once or twice a quarter. Um, but uh, I have a great, great group of kids there. I teach a rhythm section, um, kind of a groove ensemble. I teach music business and a few drum lessons. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice to kind of give something back. And, um, most of the students are pretty receptive and it, it gives me a chance to kind of share some, some real world experience. I know, you know, music schools have kind of taken a beating, especially like the two year schools, because a lot of times they, they have these younger teachers who, who I think are great. It's great to have some young energy in there and replace the old guard, but you know, when these music schools have teachers that are 23 and 24, it's kind of like, man, you got to go out and spend some time in the music business before you, <laughs> before you get in a classroom and teach. So I'm really happy that they have me in there to kind of not share some war stories, but share like, share some real life stories about what it's like to make a living as a musician. You know, it's, it's really great, but it's also a lot of hard work and, you know, you have to have a thick, resilient, skin and be able to handle a little bit of rejection from time to time. And it's, it's part of life, you know? And, um, I, I think I, I would rather hear that in school when I'm 19 and 20 than to realize it, you know, when I'm 26 or 27 and trying to, you know, trying to get from point A to point B. So I, I try to keep a positive message, but at the same time, prepare them for what, you know, what, what the music business has in store for all of us, you know? Right, exactly. And and I'm recently adjunct faculty of, of a college here in Baltimore as well. And um, thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. He's clapping. Uh, <laughs> do you go by Mr. Okay. Pilo or do you go by Craig? Because that says a lot. I let them call me by my first name because um, I, I, I'm not... I'm not quite like artist in residence status or anything like that. I mean, I'm just a, a one day a week lecturer uh, slash, you know, drum department guy. Um, so I let them call me by my first name. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I'm kind of mixed. I'm kind of mixed with that. Some it depends on, I guess it depends on the class. Um, so, you know, we're basically teaching millennials, Craig. And it's a little yeah. bit more difficult now with social media and everything and they can friend you and, you know, all of that stuff. But but I think it's also I mean, there's there's pros and cons, right, to being a teacher with millennials, but it's a whole different style of teaching. Right. Yeah, I, I get exposed to that millennial behavior a lot less than I hear my friends complaining about because for me, it's it's really on the music side. Like everything we talk about is music related. I don't really have to talk about, you know, whatever millennials are concerned about and, and worry about communicating with them. I, I've, I've actually sat down with quite a few people 
some friends of mine that have a hand in education and they really have a hard time communicating with millennials and, and I feel for them. But with me, it's a little bit easier because we're all speaking the same language. And, and my and, you know, I teach music from a at least the music business and the kind of the life side of things from a very matter of fact point of view. You know, listen, you can play this chart. You better learn how to play it well, because if you don't, someone else will. And then you're going to be out of a job. And you can hear it from me and go home and cry about it, or you can wait till it happens in the real world and costs you a job. And um, bingo, you know, I, I'm 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 abrupt, but I'm also like willing to stay there with them and show them what they need to do to succeed, rather than just you know lay down the gauntlet. I, I say, okay, well, you know, if 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 you want to succeed at this, here's how you practice. Here's how you get better at what you do. Here's what you need to study. And yeah, the millennials definitely definitely have a, a different outlook than we did. But I, when they study music, at least at least we're speaking the same language, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And who better to learn from than you? Uh, really? <laughs> well, well, I appreciate. it. Like I said, if I need a PR person, I'm, I'm going to call <laughs> you. We'll get the, we'll get the drums to the center stage, and uh, you'll get me a better teaching gig at a university, and it'll be it'll be great. It's got a pilo and lights, baby, right there. Yeah. Spotlight. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> what are some of the other things that you like to do in your spare time when you're off tour? Ooh, well, I have a, a four year old who will be five in October, so she um and she's a she, real cutie. She looks exactly like you. Yeah, she. Uh, Thank God she looks like her mother as well. Uh, and uh, so she's uh, pretty much bilingual. And um, so I have two people yelling at me in Portuguese on a daily basis. And um, that eats up the few minutes of remaining time that aren't devoted to music. And I, I do enjoy that as well. That's so funny. Yeah. Then you're like, okay, Frankie, when are we going back out on tour? They're screaming at me in Portuguese. I need to go. <laughs> Oh, so, okay, talk to me about your daughter. Wait till she's 14. She's exposed to Frankie early, just like I was, which is a good thing. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. That's the best way to grow up is with Frankie at a young age. Does she get it? Does she get what daddy does? Does she understand? She, it's really starting to. Um, she, she broke my heart the other day. We we came home. I was exhausted and everything. She said, Daddy, I've been missing you. And then and then she she wanted to watch Daddy on TV. And I was like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not on TV. Well, I, before I left for whatever the last one run was, we were at some friends of ours up in Simi Valley and we put on the BBC proms thing. And Louisa didn't know that, you know, the YouTube was just being played. She doesn't kind of get the on demand thing versus she just saw me on the, on the TV. So now she wants to watch daddy on TV and she screams, that's you, that's you, that's you, you know, still can't quite figure out how I'm in two places at once. But, um, so yeah, so she's into that. So she gets that a little bit what daddy does and her her relationship with Frankie is a strange one. It mostly consists of going into his dressing room and eating his cake. Um Oh no. Yeah, and and Frankie's like, "Yeah, hey, you want some cake?" and Louise is like, "Hell yeah." and walks right in and just, you know, it's like, "Okay, come on, you know." He's still the you know, Frankie's the star. You don't just wa- I don't walk into his dressing room and eat his cake. He'd probably bitch slap me from here to tomorrow but but my daughter she walks right in he pulls her up a chair come on let's get you a piece of cake so her relationship with frankie is uh seeing what goodies he has in his dressing room let me tell you something i'm gonna have major beef with my uncle and let me tell you why we go we go to the hippodrome baltimore in april of this year to go see you guys And I bring my twin girls, Casey and Parker. Now, they've never met Uncle Frankie, but they've heard about Uncle Frankie for almost 11 years. (laughs) We walk in to the catering area, and Bill Bateman is sitting there. And for people that are listening, he brings crab cakes. And for people that don't know, Bill Bateman is Mr. Crab Cake of Baltimore. Right. Yes. I'm with okay. the band, okay? <laughs> Those are my girls. I'm with the band. And I'm so sure. we go in, and Bill Bateman is sitting right there. Frankie is standing right there. And Casey sees this plastic takeout container, and it is holding a crab pretzel. Right. And she goes, oh. And her eyes get really big, and she goes, I want that. And my dad comes up behind her and says, oh, no, no, honey. That's Uncle Frankie's pretzel, and we don't touch Uncle Frankie's food. So yeah, I'm going right. to tell him when I see him in November in New Jersey, I'm going to say, excuse me. Yeah, Louisa got cake. Yeah. 
Well, apparently yeah, also four. <laughs> We yeah. we know we know where he lies uh, right now. He would rather give up the sweets than the crab pretzel, and that's a smart man. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, if I went into his dressing room and asked for a piece of cake, I, I I can't say on the radio what 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 he would tell me. But my daughter, apparently, it's fine. You know. <laughs> We're in Cleveland. And, you eat cake and... anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. You, you can't get that crab pretzel in California. No. Not happening. No, not, not definitely. That's no. true. We go to Cleveland, uh, you know, to see you guys, and we walk into catering, and we're eating dinner with Frankie, and he turns around, and he's looking over his right shoulder, he looks over his left shoulder, and he goes, um, where's the dessert? Right. <laughs> and we start laughing, and we go, they don't have dessert for him? Nope, they don't have dessert for him. So when I came, what do we bring? We bring burger cookies. Nice. What? Do, don't you remember that? I brought, like, 12 packs of burger cookies and threw them out in catering you guys were very happy i don't know if he got any yeah well i you know i i I don't remember that specific instance but the band is always happy when people bring us food because you know it's catering is just like anything else sometimes it's world class when you least expect it and sometimes it's unedible and we end up eating out so you just never know i will bring more burger cookies to new jersey in november i promise A trunk full of them. A trunk. There you go. An entire trunk full. So in in 2014, you released your third solo album, Drummer Boy. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, for each album, do you have Drummer Boy pulled up? Do I? There we go. We're playing it right now. I don't hear it. Okay, you can't hear it, but we're playing it right now. Just a little listen of it. Are you solo on this, or do you have other musicians come in with you? Oh, no. I, for that one, I actually put together a trio. Um, and for my last two CDs, actually, the, the point of it was to put a band together and actually play out and play at places. And it just, you know, I try really hard, and sometimes I, I just spread myself too thin, and I, I was not able to. We did play a few gigs um, with my uh, with my jazz trio from the Drummer Boy CD, Um but that was a Christmas album, and um, again, I just had a lot of resources available to me that, that that aren't available to most people. So I took advantage of having two really great musicians that wanted to collaborate with me. Everybody had a home setup, a home recording studio, so we we tracked some together, we tracked some remotely, we we tweaked some arrangements, and 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 most importantly, we again we had fun doing it. So that was the product that came out three years ago, and. Um, um, so the goal was ultimately to have my own group and play together and, and, you know, like around Christmas time, do a few Christmas shows each year and stretch a little bit. And, um, uh, it happened the first year, but, um, it dissipated pretty quickly after that between everybody's schedules and, and, um, you know, in LA it's, it's kind of hard to, to find venues to, to play that kind to play instrumental music. It, it's getting hard, but, um, uh, we still did it a few times, but it just – with everybody's schedules and mine, of course, traveling so much, it got really hard and it kind of fell by the wayside. I, I hope to revive that group in the next year or so, but we'll see. Is that how you got the inspiration for Drummer Boy, the the title, is because it came out around Christmas or you exactly. are, you are yep. just the drummer boy in general? Uh, well, both. I mean uh, the, the Christmas album, uh, you know, we had started actually the year before. Um, so it probably started it if it came out in 2014 or 2015, whatever the year before that was, was when we started doing it. And then I said, well, you know, let's, let's not, let's not rush. We'll just take our time. And we finished it in probably May or June and really got it together in time for, I think 2014 is when it came out. So yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was good. I, I had a good time doing that one. And, uh, Bart Samolos was the bass player and Chris Smith from Jefferson Starship is the piano player. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So in your off time and you're just chilling out in your studio, what do you throw on? You throw on jazz, blues? Uh, you know, it really depends. Unfortunately, most of the time it's a lot less glamorous than anything like that. It's, um, it's really whatever TV show, uh, the library, you know, I get a tip from the library saying, Hey, we need, uh, you know, an action sequence, uh, type cue for this, or I need background music for the, for, for the Kardashians and we need like pizzicato strings. So that's when I'll p- go to YouTube and pull up a few episodes of whatever show it is 
I'll put that on and then we'll start writing to that. So there's, when you say downtime, I wish that <laughs> it's kind of, there you don't isn't really have really downtime, a, right? Yeah. It's, if there is downtime, it's usually used to get caught up on whatever we're behind on, you know, whatever production music we're, we're behind on is we use our, what you would call downtime to go do some research and come up with some new ideas. Look, I feel you. I'm a single mom. I'm working my ass off. Okay. I feel you. I feel like all I do is work. I'm sure you can relate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on our show. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, we're going to get some CDs from you signed in November and give it out to a few uh, listeners here. And Hey, I'm coming to New Jersey in November to see you guys. Excellent. Give you a big old squeeze. Excellent. And, I'm looking uh, forward. Tell all of my tell all of my four seasons and my dear Frankie, my uncle Frankie, that I say hello and send my best wishes to all of you. I will. I will see them uh I will see them next week actually. We go to the Borgata in Atlantic City, I think next Wednesday or Thursday. So uh I will see all those clowns Wednesday and I will tell them you said hi. Yeah, you're gonna be there for what, three nights in a row? Yep. I think yep, at the Borgata in Atlantic City. Yep. In August. Yeah, nice. I would have been there. But I'm going to be soaking my little toes in the Mexican Sea and be in Cabo San Lucas. Darn it. Oh, nice. Oh, that's the Baja side, too. So, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. But I will be sure to listen to some Frankie on the beach and think of all awesome. of you. <laughs> Great. Take care, buddy. All right. Thanks, Meredith. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You, too.
Thanks again to my guest, Craig Pilo, drummer extraordinaire for Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, and he played for Player and Pat Boone. Great to talk to him about so many different things, and it's freaking awesome to know that two people always scream at him in Portuguese when he gets off tour. That's got to be a blast, Craig. On this feature of Local Flavor, we've got a band that I've been kind of listening to for a little while now. They started out in September 2016 here in Baltimore. They dubbed themselves as Soul Rock Fusion. It's Diamond Canopy and Universal Home here on Backstage Pass. It's Maryland. It's local. It's Baltimore. It's local flavor. Look to the angels for God. 
right, that was Diamond Canopy with Universal Home. They're going to be playing here in the Baltimore area on August 27th at the 8x10 and playing again at Fishhead Cantina on August 30th. It's Matthew Townsend, Will, Matthew, Garrett, and Jeff. And Matthew Townsend happens to be the son of Lee Townsend, who was one of the original members of the Ravens, the band, not the football team. Thank you so much. And coming up on August 16th, available on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher, you can hear my interview with Scott Page. And our local flavor that evening will be a band called Push. You've been hanging backstage with Backstage Pass and Meredith Marks. Now get your ass off the tour bus. This is a big-timing comedy production. <laughs>